Before we get started today, I want to tell you about our merchandise store. I guess we had some technical difficulties with the merch store for a while. I'm not sure how long it was down, but it is back up now. So if you have been wanting to get some t-shirts or hats or aprons for your studio or coffee cups, uh, all that stuff is available again now at www.messystudiopodcast.com and click on the store button. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Today we are considering scale. Uh, Scale is an aspect of visual design that is perhaps the easiest to overlook. This is because there is a default mode that generally works, that is, medium-sized works of art and imagery that fits in expected ways within these boundaries. But challenging habitual ways of using scale can be an exciting path. As viewers, we notice immediately when someone steps outside the expected and calls attention to scale. Today, we have some thoughts about using scale in more dynamic ways. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. Scale is an interesting topic because um, we live in such a world of reproductions, right? I mean, we see works of art online, we see works of art in books, we do see works in person, but, you know, there's often these kind of famous paintings that we, unless we've read the description, we really don't even know the scale. Um, And so, I think we've all had the experience of the impact of scale when we see something that's unexpected because we've only seen it in a reproduction. And um, it it may kind of contribute to um, our own, many artists, I won't say everyone, but many artists sort of disregard scale. It doesn't seem to be a big uh, consideration or something we pay a lot of attention to. Uh, but yeah, I think we've all had these experiences, right? Where you, you go into a museum or something and you say, oh, like, it's so small, you know? Yeah, <laughs> the, the Mo- Mona Lisa Mona is like Lisa, that for sure. It's, yes, it's only um, about two and a half feet um, from top to bottom. And I've not seen it myself in person, but I've, you know, seen pictures of people standing in front of it. And it's like, yeah, it's tiny. Um it's kind of uh, like, well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, if you have the opportunity to get really close to the Mona Lisa in person, it's really impressive because of the amount of detail that's in that yes. small little space. But normally, it's so crowded; it's really hard to get close. Yeah, to it. and with smaller pieces, and we're going to talk about this in some detail. But the, but the, uh, the intimacy of it when you do get up close and you feel. You know, you you're about the distance um, away as the person who painted it, and you you just feel that closeness to the work. Um, I've also had that uh, feeling of like, wow, it's so big, something bigger that I'd only seen a reproduction of. The one that came to mind was the one in the Surratt's really huge painting in the Chicago Art Institute, Art Institute uh, Sunday afternoon on the Isle of Grand Jatte. It's oh yeah, feet, that one is a great example. Long. I yeah. mean, it's huge. And you and really see the points, the the pointillism that, that goes into it and the the impact of the colors and everything is just it's, fantastic it's ama- on that scale. It's amazing experience. And and there are a lot of um abstract paintings that are uh abstract paintings that are quite large. Um because 
I think because the the application of paint is part of the impact the the strokes of whatever it is the brush or whatever was used to make the um you know individual aspects of the painting is it's impressive when it's large um so I I kind of like to go into the different kinds of scale and you know considerations about um is this is it, would this kind of scale be a good fit for your work um, and your imagery and your ideas? And just kind of, I don't know, shine a little light on on scale as a whole topic. And starting with small scale work, we mentioned the Mona Lisa. Um, a lot of times we think of small scale work as being kind of, you know, quick, like, um, and a lot of it is, like it's warm up work or it's practice work, but they're really are some very wonderful pieces and have always been in history that are really quite little. Um, and this detail of line and texture and everything is, it really draws the viewer in to look very closely. Um, and, you know, like I said, throughout history, we, I mean, I, I often think of the illuminated manuscripts of medieval times. There's a fascination with how tiny they are and how much detail could just be in a, in a few square inches. Um, this, I mean, Rembrandt drawings and etchings, some of them are only like five or six inches, you know, and, and when you see them in a book, they might be way bigger than they are actually. Um, so that's one aspect of small work that you can, uh, have an impressive amount of detail that the viewer is going to be looking up, looking at up close. Um, and there's this whole other aspect of small work, which is it's quick, it's spontaneous, it's not precious. I mean, uh, sketchbook type work, and you can do a lot of s small pieces and kind of tack them up and in your studio and have a look. And you know, they can be very stimulating in the fact that you're, um, you know, sort of cranking them out in a quick way can be very um, helpful for finding new ideas. And I kind of wanted to mention um, my introduction really to this idea of doing a lot of really quick drawings came from my friend Lisa Pressman. And we've had an interview with her on the show um, a couple years ago. And she um, she's promoted this idea of, she gives uh, prompts in her workshops and she'll say, you know, um, draw a dark shape now, add some color. You know, it's like, it's very quick and, and they're seconds between prompts. <laughs> and she's actually put out um, a video recently that um, she's, she goes through these prompts. So anybody who's interested in that could look up um, Lisa Pressman's videos. Is um, that on YouTube? That is one she sells. Um, it's, it's a, it's a uh, idea that she's developed, and she has started to sell this as a video. Okay, uh, maybe we can uh, we can throw a link in. Uh, yeah. you know, being that Lisa is a friend of the show, maybe we'll do a. If you sure. would like more information on Lisa Pressman's videos, they're fantastic, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll put put a link in the description for this episode. Uh, yeah. back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that a was that an ad, Ross? <laughs> Okay. Anyway, yes. And, and, but she's the one that first, um, you know, kind of introduced me really to this idea that, I mean, I'd done it in life drawing class. That's a typical thing that you do to warm up. You do a bunch of really quick drawings, but she's focused on this, you know, abstract mark making. It's very interesting. Um, so those are quick little small things. Um, and the, you know, the really good things about 
any kind of small work is, again, this intimacy that I mentioned, um, this feeling of closeness to the artist, the, the artist's hand, and that everything you do on that scale has a lot of impact. Every mark, every shape, every color um, on that small scale, it's often an inexpensive way of working. Um, and so this is this is a good thing. It makes it less precious. And because it, any any type of you know substrate that you buy uh, or make is going to have it's going to be more inexpensive when it's tiny. Um, obviously, very easy to store them and ship them. There is an one drawback. A lot of times, a small work needs to be framed in order to kind of let it have some presence. And whether that's on a panel or whether it's a work on paper that you have to frame. It does add this other level of um, how am I going to present this, and so that's a little bit of a downside. It you have to do something if you're going to put it in a show or um, or sell it through your gallery. There has to be kind of something to make it have um, a more presence or be noticeable. And obviously, most most smaller works are less. Uh, expensive to buy, so that can be a good thing for the collector, but not as lucrative for the artist. Um, and some galleries hesitate to handle really small work if it's got a low price point. So those are kind of practical considerations. But um, I'd like to talk a little bit about you know what what to think about as as the artist, as a creator of this. Um, knowing that somebody will look up close at this work of art, they have to. And I feel like there should be some visual reward for looking close. And this can be, you know, subtlety, subtle nuances. This can be something bold. This could be a really intricate texture. Um, something that rewards the viewer for, for looking up close. And oftentimes, there's also a desire on the part of the artist to have it hold up from a distance. And this this is, can be a challenge with small work. So you want to sort of bring somebody forward to look at it. And it may need something bold uh, in it to, to do that. And within within the scale of the, the outer dimensions of the piece, it's always interesting to look at the scale of whatever the imagery is within it. So an unexpected way of working with small pieces is to have actually large shapes within them, you know, relative to the scale of the piece so that they're sort of pushing out against the edges. And this creates interesting visual texture. Um, and uh, it's a little, like I said, a little unexpected. Generally, the expected thing, the default mode is that we scale the imagery within the piece to fit the outer dimensions. So, you know, a large piece might have large imagery, a small piece, small imagery. And when I say imagery, that it could be abstract as well as um, representational. But that's kind of like uh, shaking up the viewer a little bit by playing with that can be interesting. And overall, with any of this scale stuff, you you know, I just encourage to ask yourself, is this the best fit for your work? If it's something you haven't done before, maybe it would really work with what you're trying to do. Or if it's what you do habitually, you know, what would happen if you changed the scale? Um, and with with small to medium-sized works, there's often this kind of practical thing of, well, you know, it's what, it's what works for what I have or whatever. Uh, but 
sometimes it's it's good to kind of challenge that. And and the last thing about small work is it's often effective if you hang it as a group, as a series. So if you had a number of pieces that were all the same scale and you hung them grouped in as many as you wish, at least three probably, and then it it can read um, both as individual pieces and as as an overall body of work, and that's that's kind of cool. I did that recently with a bunch of twelve by twelve inch pieces in an exhibit, and I had twelve twelve by twelve paintings, and that's not super small scale. That's edging towards medium, I suppose, but uh, they worked really well as kind of a grid. Well, that does touch on a an aspect of scale, um, which is how is this work going to be displayed and how mm-hmm. is the environment that it's displayed in going to affect the impact of that work? And that's something that's very noticeable in museums. So like, mm-hmm. I think part of what makes the Mona Lisa look so small is if you've ever been to the Louvre, you, it's a massive space and you're, you're going through just, <laughs> just yeah. all of these cavernous rooms and, and, you know, just a huge number of them in order to get to the Mona Lisa. And you're, you're, seeing just a huge amount of work on the way and then you get into this big cavernous room and there's this tiny little painting on the wall <laughs> yeah i never thought of it that way but i bet you're right yeah it's like and, um, and the same is true of the chicago art center and yeah. except with the with the opposite impact where um you know we're we're talking about a painting that that fills up an entire wall you know mm-hmm. and uh and so i think you got to consider these things with scale um you know most spaces where people are going to place art in the end are kind of designed for normal sized art. Right. And whether you're going really big or really small, there's going to be demands placed on the space itself. Um, And so that's something that you got to consider. Right. And small to medium sized works, you know, obviously fit well into most people's homes and that's where most people are going to put them. So um, yeah, that's definitely... It, it's a pro for working on the on the um, end of things that's handleable, that's a smaller. Yeah, definitely easier. But then it's it's how with small work, it's does the does the work itself kind of disappear into the environment, mm. or does it become more impactful because of the environment? And that's something you know I've. I've said for quite a long time about medium scale work, which is the next thing we're going to talk about, is that when you look around um, your house and you see all kinds of things that are rectangular and more or less like, you know, two feet by two feet or something like that, like everything from windows to shells to cupboard doors to, you know, yeah, computer Plinko screens. machines. Yeah, you know, it's like microwaves. I mean, everywhere Radiators. you look, <laughs> everywhere you look, there are these rectangular objects or square objects that are that sort of range. And, um, and then you put a painting in the room, well, hopefully it calls more attention than a radiator, but it's that it is that expectedness, that expected size that can a little bit lessen the impact. Um, even a tiny painting in a room full of expected size objects can stand out because it's so small. And, you know, if you give some space around it, it does call attention to it. Uh, so the, that, yeah, I, I have quite a bit to say about that size, actually. So um, basically, it is not a size that calls attention to itself. And here we're talking about, I'd say anything maybe starting at 
12 to 16 inches and up to a couple feet. Nobody looks at a painting like that or a work of art and says, wow, that's really a medium-sized work, you know? <laughs> I mean, we say, oh, that's a really tiny painting or that's a really big painting. But these these this medium range it's just it's not a factor really in how the work is the impact of it um it's what we sort of expect and um so it can get lost in in a setting around it uh, in a home or even in a gallery because everything around it is sort of similar um and you know there's a, there's other practical considerations for this size and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. These are pros and cons, and and these are on the good end of things. Um, You know, this, again, is a relatively inexpensive way to work for the artist. The kind of supports that you buy are more affordable than if it were huge. Um, Easy to store it, easy to ship it, um, easy to find a place to hang it. And if you don't have a huge studio, uh, this is more practical. Although, you know, I speak from experience and saying I have done some pretty large paintings in a 10 by 10 foot studio. So it's not impossible to work larger in a small space, but you know, it, it fits, it works if you're, if you don't have a huge studio. Um, and on the good side too, it has that same kind of intimacy, I think, as a really small work. I mean, you tend to get up close to examine um, and to feel, you know, maybe you're sort of at an, at a, a painter's arm length from the painting and see what they're seeing. Um, and it, it, it does carry weight. I mean, there's there's enough substance to painting this size to carry weight. Um, this type of size is, you know, it's more involved than most small paintings, uh, but it's still kind of flexible. Like you could, you could easily do a series of carrying out an idea uh, without a huge investment of material and time um they you know they still have obviously a lot of impact i mean myself included most artists have a lot of work in this kind of size range um and they are they tend to be affordable for people to buy them and galleries tend to like to have them um as maybe often the smaller end of what they offer is something 12 by 12 or you know 16 by 20 or something like that um well, and most people are buying art with the idea that it's going to kind of fill a space on a wall. And mm-hmm. and uh, this is a size range that fits in the kind of places where people tend to put right. paintings in their homes and in their offices. And Yeah, it's very expected, very normal, very, you know, uh, it works. And and it's, it's a good way to work. And I mean, I've always said, too, um, when I teach workshops – that I don't encourage people to bring large panels to a workshop because they won't get very far in the amount of time that we have. So it's a really great format for something like that where you only have, or an artist residency, where you only have um, a limited amount of time to do something. And you can actually go get a, a long way on it. Um, but I think the draw, the biggest drawback is that, you know, we, we talked in the beginning about this kind of default mode that was in the intro like uh it's it's something that if you've never really thought about it and questioned is this really where i'm very happy and and i don't feel like pushing the scale in either direction um that's fine but if it's something you haven't really thought about and i 
I do find this when I speak with students. Sometimes I'll look at, they'll show me a picture of something that they've done in the past, and I'll say, well, what size is that? And they'll say, oh, you know, it's it's 8 by 10 or something, something kind of smallish. And I'm saying, you know, when I look at that, I could see it as being much bigger. Um, have you ever considered working much bigger? And the answer is usually, well, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, but I'm not sure how to go about it and whatnot. Um, but there are images that just want to be bigger. <laughs> it's hard to put words on that, actually, but they just suggest more skill. And I think that's why we're often thrown off by reproductions as well. When we actually know the scale, it changes what we're seeing. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, I've talked to enough people who really haven't tried to push it that I think it's an interesting thing to bring up, um, question it, is it the best size for what you want to do? And if you haven't tried either much smaller or much larger, how will you know? How will you know what what is the best? So, and the last one, I, you know, obviously we're leading up to large-scale work. We've done small and medium. So the last thing I want to talk about is is large-scale. And here, you know, again, these are all kind of relative. Some people would consider a 30 by 30 quite large, and other people would say, oh, that's just, you know, medium for me. Um, but, you know, once you get into four or five feet, it starts to become a pretty large painting and obviously can get way bigger than that. Um, and when I have worked larger scale I really like it, and I know there are difficulties about it, which I'll bring up, but there's something uh, from the artist's point of view about just being surrounded by your work. You really feel the presence of it. Um, the viewer also feels the presence of it. It's it's very impactful uh, to see a really large-scale work. Uh, I will, of course, say at the beginning, bigger is not always better. <laughs> um, you when you work large, there sort of has to be um, a reason for it. The, I think it's a, a kind of bad if the viewer looks at a large painting and says, well, why is it so big? You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, if it's just an excuse to use a whole lot of paint and take up a big space on the wall, it's not so great. It's like, it has to be meaningful that it's big, it has to be part of it. Um, and it is of, exciting, though, to, it to is have exciting. A a really big panel in front of you. Oh my god. I mean it, it's challenging. Um it's a commitment. You're a you're committing to commitment. fill this whole space and yeah. And you you have committed um uh money to to buy this panel or whatever it is you're working on. They're always expensive when they're that big. Um and they're expensive to ship too and and oh, to just to, to the amount of paint that has to go on it. The amount of paint, all the materials, um, you know, at some point it's not going to fit in your car anymore. <laughs> so you're going to have to ship it even if it's somewhere kind of close. Um, and I think the, the, the good, the good feelings about working on it are so exciting that if you've never tried this, at least trying to scale up a little bit and start to experience one of the things I really like about it is, um, relative to the size of your body when you're working on it, it's it's either sort of your size or bigger. And so you engage in a different way with it. You feel like you're it, it can almost become a dance with the paint with because you're you're 
bigger body is involved in moving it around, moving around it. Um, there's a famous photo of um, Jackson Pollock painting on, on a, he would stretch, put his canvas out on the floor and literally like dance over it with his paint, just moving in rhythmic uh, ways and, and letting the paint drip down. And it's such an expression of the, the whole physical presence of the artist. It's just an enveloping experience that I find really interesting. And like, uh, you know, we were talking about Surratt's painting, the the impact on the viewer uh, to walk into something that is way bigger than you are, and and to be able to get up close as well as from a distance, is is pretty impactful. I've also observed that uh, sometimes if I see a painting in, in a reproduction that is. In fact, not a large painting. It's a medium or small size painting, but it's kind of chaotic. There's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, I think if that painting were 12 feet long, this could actually work. It's like a large, large surface can absorb much more movement, chaos, because we step back from it and our eye can more easily organize it. I, I think that's why. And so... I mentioned the idea of the uh, images within a painting. A large painting could hold a lot of small images. And again, Surratt's painting is a good example. There's a lot of things going on in that painting. But because we stand back from it, it's it's all hanging together. And there's a lot of older paintings that have very tumultuous scenes, you know, Renaissance paintings and Baroque paintings, where there's a lot going on and a lot of movement, and yet it's contained because of the scale. Um, so those are kind of interesting um, reasons to, to try this. And we did mention, you know, kind of the drawbacks. And of course, they're going to be more expensive to buy. And so... It's, you know, you, you usually don't sell as many large paintings as you would of the other other kinds. And so to get any kind of um, return on the, the simple investment of materials that you've put into it can be more difficult. Um, so it to me also there's a factor of the materials that you're using, and this is true on any scale, um, that alignment of form and content, because scale is an aspect of form, you know, because it's measurable. Say, uh, this is a painting that it measures two feet by three feet or whatever. Um, the media that you use is also an aspect of form and related to scale. So think about whether the media is creating small, intricate details, or whether it tends to flow, whether it tends to be... Um, a broader kind of application. And I was thinking about um, Helen Frankenthaler's work, and it's usually pretty large scale, medium to large. And one of the things that she wanted her paint to do was to flow and to have this kind of amorphous shapes that relied on very liquid paint. And it works really well on a large scale because you can sense that flow of paint and that spreading out on the canvas. Um, so kind of getting back to that idea of it, there needs to be a reason that that is one of the challenges for the artist is that you sort of have to justify the hugeness of this thing. Um, and I won't say that always happens. You see large paintings where you think, yeah, but why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, there's 
to me, it seems there has to be something monumental about it uh, to work on a monumental scale. Something about the imagery or the use of materials also has to fit with that. Another artist that comes to mind is in, in very large scale is Anselm Kiefer, and his works are absolutely enormous, and they're they're dark and impactful and full of sort of ominous imagery and texture, and they have enormous impact because of the scale. Um, he is entirely justified in working the size of a museum wall, you know, because of what he does with it. Um, one of the things that is a real challenge about large-scale work is how do you do it? You know, how do you scale up? Um, you've been working with medium to small work, and you feel this pull, you know, I really want to do this on a larger scale. What materials do you use? Do you change your materials? How do you approach it? Um, do you need to change your tools? So that's often the stumbling block. You know, people, as much as the practical aspects of cost and studio size, is just how do you go about it? And there's no one right answer. Um, I would say, again, the imagery within the piece does not have to be much larger. Uh, the way that the paint is applied does not have to be much different. And for my own work, when I scale things up, I pretty much use the same tools and the same approaches. It's just I'm covering more more ground in the end. You know, I, I might work on areas as if I'm working on a smaller painting with the same amount of detail and the same tools and all that stuff. Uh, and so it adds up to quite an intricate surface when it's spread across four or five feet or six feet. Um, other artists feel, if their work is more gestural, they may feel, you know, I really want to use different tools so that I can have those same kind of spontaneous gestural marks. And um, I've heard of people using, you know, brooms and mops and um, uh, very large squeegees. <laughs> Gerhard Richter is famous for having huge squeegees to do his large pieces. And so there may be tools that you need to change up uh, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, I guess a general tip is to to work into this gradually. You don't have to go from a painting that's 12 by 12 inches to one that's 12 by 12 feet. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of steps in between. And to take the next step up, what what feels larger to you than what you're doing right now? What would seem a challenge and go for that? And it may not be hugely different. So taking those kind of baby steps up. Um, if you are working in a small space and your studio isn't large, um, there's a a trick there's different tricks for expanding your view on something and of course if it's possible to just take the painting out of your studio and look at it in a different environment a big room or something that's great if you can't um, using a mirror is a really good thing because it's, it's going to reverse the image and and we pointed out when we talked about composition in a different episode that that can help you see where there might be weaknesses but what it also does is makes you feel like you're looking at it from a distance. And so um, sometimes it helps get that backing off that you need on a larger piece. And the same thing with a photo. Um, 
you know, you can you can take it in all at once if you can um, get a good photo of it. And the last thing I want to mention, which is a really practical way of working on large scale, is that it doesn't all have to be on a single panel or a stretch canvas or a paper, whatever it is you're working on. You can work with diptychs, triptychs, multiple panel pieces as a way to expand the vision. And it, it becomes obvious how practical that is. You can uh, take them apart and and ship them separately or whatever. You can fit them in your car. Uh, when I first started working on a larger scale, that's when I was doing a lot of multiple panel pieces where I was having somebody physically bolt the panels together. And then when I wanted to ship them, I'd just take the bolts out and send those along. And the gallery would put them together. And that really helped a lot to be able to do some larger scale work. There are aesthetic considerations about this. And my own view is, just like everything else, if you're going to use multiple panels, have them say something um, and have have the viewer understand that there's a visual reason for them, not just, oh, it was easier to ship. <laughs> uh, in other words, some contrast between the panels, um, not just a, you know, the same thing from panel to panel, which could easily be done on one panel. But some reason it breaks up the flow. It, it's there's a in my own work it turned out to be the geometric division that I needed in kind of organic flowing surface quality. So, in other words, uh, it's it's a practical thing. Can you make it work in a way that's also interesting and fits your meaning of the work? So, uh, that's a really good solution for working big. Right, it'll it'll kind of break up the task too. Um, mm-hmm. If uh, if you're working kind of one panel at a time, I mean, you put them all together and you can see how everything works together, but you narrow your focus to a smaller area of the painting at one time. Very true, and it also offers a lot of flexibility because if you've ever done a triptych or diptych or even more panels, well, there's a lot of decisions about how they're going to go together. Uh, even if you're hanging a grid of small paintings, how are you going to sequence them? And how does one panel affect the other? So when I was doing these multiple panel pieces, which, uh, you know, at this point, it's been 10 years since I did them. But so they're older, they won't be on my website or anything. But I'm still kind of interested in this idea. And it's because one of the reasons you have these various panels, and then you start thinking of how are they going to go together? And it's kind of this um, great, wonderful puzzle of which one goes next to one another, and should I turn it this way or that way? <laughs> you get you get very invested in a lot of possibilities, so it's opening up this other whole channel of how you're going to present this thing. Will there be a space between the panels, or will they be butted right up against one another? Um and so uh, this is, I actually have done a few triptychs recently that were like this. And it was really interesting. I, I very much enjoyed playing around with that. And they end up being pretty large scale. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Just that, you know, what I was just talking about, it with the multiple panels, but with any of these scale issues, what you're doing is increasing 
your expressive um, possibilities. I mean, each each type of scale is a different challenge. It's a different way of learning about composition and how to create visual impact and presents its own challenges as to how to deal with that particular scale. And so if you're used to working one way and you're feeling a little bored about that, um, you know, I, I really recommend trying some different scale. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and www.squeegeepress.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.